VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, everybody, and welcome to the penultimate ruck of the old year. Today, we've got the real experts in on the panel, people who, by public vote, a little bit like um, Strictly, um, have come to the top of your wish list. There, uh, Mark Evans, uh, in fact, you are one of the few people who want him, and uh, Alan Dimmock. Mark has been um, head of everything in sport. Uh, it saves us about 20 minutes without having to go through his achievements. And Alan Dimmock, um, a former Scot and a former front row forward, also joins us. Lads, welcome. Mark and Alan, uh, what have you been up to on the weekend? What games did you see? What struck you? Are you having fun? Um, yeah, I watched three of the games. I mean, I um, I missed the. I was out Friday, so I didn't see the Ulster-Northampton game, so I can't comment on that. But I watched Quinns-Cardiff. I watched uh, Leicester-Connacht, which I thought was really interesting. But my game of the weekend was in the fog up, uh, up in Glasgow uh, against the Chiefs, which I think is going to turn out to be quite a sort of turning point for the Chiefs. Uh, and uh, fair play, Glasgow are excellent. Didn't watch the Munster game, was going to, but then I read the reports and thought, you know, I ain't got that sort of time. Alan? Yeah, uh, well, I'm in, I'm in isolation in South London. I just wanted to hear I'm a former Scot because I am desperately hoping that when I'm released from my isolation, I can make it up uh, for Christmas. But uh, so l- locked down in my uh, my own flat, I've, I've watched pretty much most most of the rugby, not all of it, but, but most of it. And it was uh, thankfully plenty to talk about. Um, it's, Mark mentions the, the two of the games at the weekend there. Um, if it was a pea soup fog uh, at Leicester yesterday, then it was what you probably describe as a cement soup in Glasgow <laughs> for that extra game. I mean, geez, how you could barely see anything. But still, somehow, narratives in there to talk about. So plenty of stuff with Europe to get tucked into. Uh, OK, thanks, Al. Um, we've got a great programme today. We're going to have a little chat about Europe, uh, not only the rugby, but the implications of the of the cancellations or the postponements in covid we also got absolutely riveting piece with uh, Jan McGinty, expert on the finances and the salaries in the Premiership. And um, as you know, at the moment, uh, people are moving. Ellis Genge, the great Leicester captain, is leaving. George Ford, the great Leicester fly-half, is also le- leaving for other clubs. Why is this happening? Well, Jan will be uh, filling us in on that and also Mark clearly an area of his expertise and Al, but really is worth listening to. We've also got a roundup of the women's um, the women's game, uh, thriving at the moment, and then our god or goddess of the week. First of all, let's get into Europe Heineken Cup. 
Mark, um, you've already flagged up Exeter and uh, Glasgow and Exeter at Scott's tune. What you saw of it through the fog, first of all, you were impressed by Glasgow, but seriously unimpressed by Exeter. Yeah, I thought Glasgow were terrific and the scoreline didn't flatter them. In fact, they could have won by more. It sounds a bit strange, really, because they scored in the 79th minute to sort of put it out of reach. It was out of reach. But it was just the the way they played. And they had some absolute belters. I mean, sorry, Alan will say more, but, but right across the field. I mean, in no particular order. I thought Rory Doug, he looks a real prospect. In the, He's 21. He looks fantastic. Jack Dempsey, the old Waratahs, back row forward, is playing out of his skin. George Turner at hooker was incredibly impressive. And Sion Tuipulutu, who is from Melbourne, well, and with a with a Glaswegian um, grandmother. Did they have any Scots playing Glasgow? He no, he's. I mean, it's interesting. He, his 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 grandmother emigrated, and then his mum married somebody from um, from Melbourne, and, and then they stayed. And he was f- both sides of the ball. Him and Sam Johnson in the midfield were were dominant, and they got a good young fullback too. They looked a real team, um, and I think. It puts their performance away at La Rochelle in in a in a in a different in a it's a tough old group they've got. They're going to play La Rochelle now and go uh, and obviously go away to uh, to Exeter presumably. I'm not sure. I haven't checked, but they were terrific. Exeter on the other hand, and they were they were back at full strength. And I thought Exeter's. I'll be honest. I thought Exeter's early season form was largely down to missing personnel. I'm not quite so sure now, and if. You know, they lost a lot of collisions, which is really unlike Exeter. Their scrummage didn't look all that. Um, they just looked a shadow. And there's very strong rumours that Hill is off to sale and Skinner's going to Edinburgh. I think the Exeter Chiefs, after a wonderful, wonderful era and a great coaching management team, I'm sure they'll fix it. But they might be heading for a rebuild, a, a serious rebuild. Al, um, you've been really, really happy wearing your Glasgow hat with your Glasgow performance. Well, I, I made a point of chatting to one of the, the Glasgow players yesterday about, about that game to, to find out what the sort of temperature sort of temperature check with, with them, what it is. And one of the things that they were at pains to explain was it feels like they're finally clicking now um, after they made a big point of the fact that they brought in an entirely new coaching setup to Glasgow in the middle of a pandemic. And that first season, uh, last season, wasn't really, d- didn't really set the heather alight. Whereas it feels like with a, a pre-season under a belt that they, they were very happy with, with the young personnel coming through that they're very happy with, that things are, are starting to pop for them. Dempsey has been an incredible signing. Last time I was on uh, this pod, uh, I made a point of, su- of suggesting that his form is, is worth watching. Rory Darge is just a phenomenal young talent. Um, the, one of the things that they also mentioned to me was the fact that we've got young halfbacks, uh, guys like Ross Thompson and Jamie Doby, who people in Scotland have been very excited about for, for a wee while. Um, they're coming through now. And one of the things that I got told was a catalyst for them coming through was the fact that they got some involvement with the Scottish national team. Gregor Townsend brought them in, uh, gave them a taste of what it was all, all about. And apparently they've been completely reinvigorated from, from that experience. And by all accounts, their communication and calmness under pressure is something that's come on leaps and bounds. And you don't get much more pressure than playing against a team with the might of extra chiefs. And that whole squad just stood up and it's 
genuinely, it's no word of a lie. You might have seen the video of the guys jumping up and celebrating at the end of that game. Make no mistake, Glasgow are absolutely buzzing after that performance against Exeter. That's um, Exeter, um, Marks could put a big question mark there because all the personnel were back, but uh, not the performance. But does that leave uh, Mark Leicester as the uh, standard bearers for amongst England clubs because they did put Connard away, which is not a, not a insignificant, but didn't really really impress. Well, I, I, first of all, I, I feel very uncomfortable writing off Exeter, although I sort of half half done so. Look, I could get this wrong. Let's be fair. They, they their, their track record is terrific, and and I'm always very uh, nervous betting against Rob Baxter and his t- his coaching team. But but I. It's happened too often now. It looks a bit like a pattern. And I think, at the very least, they will be concerned. Leicester, on the other hand, I thought was a an ex, a really impressive, another really impressive performance for this reason. Not the performance itself, which was, was okay. They, they dominated enough bits of the game and the bench came on and, and, and they sort of overpowered them. But it wasn't a vintage Leicester performance. But it was this point. They made 10 changes from the team that beat Quinns a couple of weeks ago. 10. So I think what people haven't quite grasped, and I, uh, if Alan's talking about he, he did, he, fair play, he did give Jack Dempsey a, 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 a real um, sort of rev up a couple of weeks back. I'd just like to point out earlier, right at the beginning of this year, I said, watch Leicester Tigers. I think they're going to win the league. And I see no reason to, to change that view. And the reason for it was I looked at the strength of their squad and I think Saturday, Sunday rather, really, really underlined this. No Cole, no Genge, no Montoya, no Van Stanen, no Nadolo, no Ford, no Green, no Liebenberg. You can go on and on and on. That was virtually their second team. And Connett are a really good side. They remind me quite a lot, not quite so good in one or two key positions. They remind me quite a lot of Harlequins. They play a very similar fashion. Um, I think Jack Carty is a, is an excellent player, and they really gave Leicester uh, quite a challenge. But they overcome it, came it again, and when they brought their bench on, it just the power just kept coming, and they and they won in the last. Having been behind, they won it in the last quarter. I look at Leicester now and think, um, I don't think they'll win the European Cup. I'm not sure they're first team is quite as good as Toulouse or one or two of the other French teams or Leinster. Mind you, we'll come back to whether the European Cup will even finish, of course. But I think they'll win the Premiership now. I now think they'll win... They won't just win the league. I think they'll win... I think they'll win the whole thing. I think they'll go to the grand final and win it. Uh, Al, we've got another um, another one of these Cardiff epics um, where Cardiff's, whatever it was, second or third team or their granddads or kids uh, came up uh, unknown players and 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 gave it a real thrash um is that really um to be praised it's certainly to be praised from the cardiff point of view but is that does that really uh, affect the status of the competition away against harlequins because in the end harlequins did win easily i th- well i think harlequins were never well i'll tell you what the, that game was fairly loose and uh, certainly entertaining um, I mean, I imagine we could dedicate 10 minutes to talking about Cabango's try uh, for, for Cardiff Blues to, to even it up uh, in in that first half. Uh, it just unbelievable play, really exceptional. But And absolutely Cardiff deserve praise for the 
of the sort of the expendables squad that they brought together to play. Um, certainly a lot of chatter about Dan Fish. Um, tried to retire twice, but every time he gets out, they pull him back in. Um, and he was just, I was going to say rolling about the years. He's younger than I am, so I think that would be unfair. But um, just exceptional stuff. Um, Jim Botham was very impressive for them in the back row yeah, as well. Yeah, he was. He was excellent. However, however, um, I, I do agree that, that Quinn's had a, had enough. Um, and the la- they didn't really show that they had enough until the last 20 minutes. By that point, the gas had run out on Cardiff and they were Quinn's were able to pull through. It's, it's an interesting one. And we will go on to talk about where Europe is and mm. how the hell we finish a European season because... And and certainly there's a lot of reasons for for people to be angry in certain places and and we'll get onto the fact that Leinster are absolutely fuming to have taken a 28 nil loss when Cardiff were made to play because they were told that there were no weekends to fill and have had to pull in players from left right centre underneath over the top and round the back um, in order to, to fulfil these fixtures. Um, still incredibly impressive for them to do so and for Quinns, you know. Don Brandt and Esther Hazen are like the needle point on the compass for them, pointing them in the right direction at all times. You know, when they need to straighten, when they need to get the ball over the game line, those two will give them that. And not just with with hard running, by the way. I think Esther Hazen so, showed some deft hand. He can show that sometimes. Um, and and certainly they, they just, quality would tell. But what else would you expect when you've got league champions playing against guys who are, are manfully trying, who have come out of academies or out of amateur game and, and or out of retirement in the, in the case of Dan Fish. Okay, the, Certainly it gives us a hell of a narrative. The, yeah. the, 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 Leinster will be um, will, will fuming that they had a 28-0 uh, game awarded against them. So did the Ospreys. While we're talking about the Ospreys, we really should send best wishes to uh, Ivan Phillips, um, who's, yeah. who's so... Uh, dreadfully injured in a, uh, a recent car accident, lost a leg, and um, mm. has really already been interviewed and, and bounced back courageously. So this, um, they send him all our love. Um, uh, just elsewhere, rough, um, just whizzed through it. Ulster, a little bit too good for Northampton. Um, Glasgow, too good, much too good for Exeter. Harlequins came through. Munster came through, as Mark said, in a not very good game. Leicester came through, um, but I'm afraid, lads. We have got a problem with the European Cup this year. And for me, it started before COVID, before everything, because I do not believe in the last two years, possibly even before that, it has been it has felt anything like as big a competition as it used to. It used to be clearly, clearly bigger than anything else around it. But now, as far as I'm concerned, I was looking forward to the Christmas programme in the Premiership way more than these games. And I don't sense that it is turning people on as it did. Uh, Mark, um, do you get the same sense? Yeah, I, I hate being negative about about rugby. I mean, I do, genuinely do. I think it's, I'm not saying my role is to talk the game up, but I try to look on the bright side. And, and I do think some of the things that uh, of the European Cup at the moment are beyond, you know, they're the least worst option. I mean, I don't think anybody thinks having two pools of 12 with eight to qualify is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a structure that is going to generate excitement. It's, it's too it's too easy to lose and still qualify, put it that way, and then throw all your chips into a, a knockout last 16, last eight thing later in the year. Um, so, you know, I, I, I will cut the administrators an awful lot of slack in these times. I mean, what else are you meant to do? 
the problems you've now got, however, look close to insurmountable. I mean, if you if we lose rounds three and four in January, which is by no means unlikely given the current situation, particularly the sort of geopolitical situation between travel between, well, actually the EU and the UK, but predominantly France, of course. But Ireland has a different has a different relationship with the French, hence the Munster Castro game going ahead. Well, um, if I can just if I could just jump in there, Mark. Sorry, Gordon, yeah, go, go ahead, mate. You probably better inform than me. Well, there's there was an interesting interview with uh, cast president uh, yes, Pierre Revol, who uh, was not happy at all by no. the fact that, that that game against Munster was going ahead. I mean, uh, I can understand why he would want to put that one off. As uh, Russ Petty uh, said on pointed out on Twitter, Munster have an eighty nine percent win rate in the Champions Cup at home, whereas Cast all time have a nine percent win rate away from home in Europe. So I can understand why they would want to put that one off. Might as well but, get, get it out of the way, one could argue. But anyway. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, I mean, he was very angry that this game went ahead. And he actually said, uh, one point he made is that the French League is not the majority in the EPCR and we have come to this absurd situ- situation. So not happy in the least to have played, whereas a lot of other people uh, like... Leinster, for example, just absolutely angry that they've had to take 28-0 losses. But I'm sure as as Mark will go on to detail, where the hell do you fit in games now in the calendar? Because two weeks ago we were chatting about how we're going to have to, hell or high water, we're going to have to have games where guys are going to, we're going to have to have an amnesty where people can sign players from anywhere on the planet to make sure that they've got a European squad to compete here because, hey, there ain't no holes in this calendar. Now, all of a sudden, postponements all over the joint and we're going to have to find a hole somewhere. So what does that mean? Do we now get to a situation where we cancel the the two-legged round of 16 that round, Robin? Do we have midweek games coming up in order to fulfil fixtures? Do we have some other Frankenstein solution to this league that's already been contorted out of all recognition? I mean, I'm sure what Steve was talking about before is how many fond memories we have of of great knockouts between great rivals and everything that the Heineken Cup was. Whereas now, I mean, just looking at it from purely practical terms, are are we just putting a blindfold on and throwing darts at a calendar of the year? It it, it was was slightly bizarre because you had this bizarre last weekend where people were trying to sneak in with a bonus point for an away place and all that. But actually, for for years, that was actually quite fashionable and and quite good. But I I, I do fear for it now. Mark, there's only one space any of us can find, and that is that just don't have this home and away uh, round. But you you can't really start surely now going into midweek games because you're immediately coming up against the Premiership and, and you're going to have to choose one one competition or the other. Is there anything you can do whatsoever except chop away at the bottom half of the teams and go straight to quarterfinals? Well, um, if you lose another... If you lose three and four or even some of three and four, um, you then get to the situation where there'll be certain teams that will have had two games postponed. Mm. And then I think you have absolutely no choice. But I thought about it, there's a lot over the weekend. Um, I don't think you've got any choice but to change the terms of engagement halfway through the competition. And it's all very well people saying, no, you can't do that, you can't do it. Guys, sometimes you, you are in the world of least worst options. That, that none of the options are 
palatable. None of them are things you'd want to do, but you have to, that's about leadership then, you have to come up with the least worst option. And I, the only one I can come up with is actually you go from eight qualifying in the 12 to four, you get rid of the double round of 16 and you you, you crack on and hope things will be better in April. I, I just... I wouldn't make any decisions now because I think what happens in January is is absolutely critical. And if you're not careful, you fix the problem you've got at the moment and then that's not the problem you've got to fix eventually. And then you get yourself into a real muddle where you, well, here's what we're going to do. And then three weeks later, you say, well, actually, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something else. It's a horrible position to be in. And I think it's understandable the magic of the of the European of the Heineken Cup has been has been taken away to a significant degree. I, I just think we've got to try and make the best of things and not be too critical about it because it's easy to say what's wrong and oh that's awful. Well, fine, you come up with a better solution then. Okay, so in in all walks of life as pundits, we should um, always be positive. So. No, what didn't you were say saying, that. What didn't you were say saying that. about Boris Johnson before we came on air, <laughs> basically, we should be positive about Boris Dif- different Johnson. In, different in politics. Oh, I see. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Rugby's my right. sport. I, I do try and, you know, talk it up whenever I can. I'll, um, I'll tell you what, Mark, Mark talking about the least worst options is like me thinking about what I'm going to be cooking for my dinner during this isolation period I'm in at the oh, moment. That's pretty <laughs> grim. Um, well, look, in my own personal opinion, the rot started the day where instead of making the European Cup final the last game of the season and, and building it up over the years as a sort of Super Bowl, they then had it when there were still four weeks of the Premiership to go. So that that was when, it, in France and England especially, it uh, it, it devalued itself. But I'll, um, we, we are talking now that there's a live situation happening all the time about COVID in England and possible restrictions. I mean, who knows before we come out, there may be, may be others. But uh, we're now, now looking rather gloomily at... Um, uh, a return to let's say the the rather depressing sights in rugby where the players were doing their best but maybe not even crowds and things like that i mean that's an awful that's an awful prospect surely yeah absolutely especially when um well especially when every weekend as mentioned is going to be taken up with rugby i mean there is so much rugby that has to be squeezed in that's going to be have to be put in somewhere hell or high water regardless of who's sitting in the stands or whether it's behind closed doors or, or whether it has to be played midweek or whatever else there's just so much rugby i mean the, the tyrannosaurus rex in the room is the fact that the premiership and french rugby rattles on regardless and the premiership was being played over six nations weekend so it's not even like some whereas the urc won't be uh, other issues involved with that <laughs> anyway with the transcontinental competition um but uh, you know, there there will be no holes to fill, which is the biggest problem we're talking about here with the EPCR. But the games have got to be fulfilled in order for the season to finish. So we're going to be some eventually somewhere. There's going to be a crack. So whether it's Europe being played midweek or not, we're going to see Premiership games. I'm almost certain of it. That we're eventually, when everything shakes out with COVID and the the yearly calendar, we're going to have to see games squashed in there somewhere, eventually. Um, I mean, it's you mentioned there the the fact that you'd love to see a, a Super Bowl style final 
at the end at the end of the year. Uh, I mean, that just comes down to the perennial question. Stop me if you've heard this one before. <laughs> the global calendar is quite quite odd, isn't it? Mm. It's almost like we're just sort of rattling along and, and doing our best. That being said, I, I think having no crowds in there will rob you of of moments. Even for example, the fact that and you mentioned bonus points earlier one of my highlights of the weekend was the performance of jack carty for connor against leicester tigers and he he was playing phenomenal stuff he's throwing his hands up for selection for ireland mm. certainly and uh superb display uh, a fine try that he scored in the face of just an on-rushing uh, d- defense well it, as part of an on-rushing defense that bamboozled bamboozled leicester but he kicked a bonus point in the end because he had the wherewithal to go you know what, we can chase the game here, but if we get that bonus point, it gives there's, us a chance at Europe. So there's still still stuff to celebrate about Europe. I'm 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 of the mind where I'm going to try and, you know, I'm, I'm locked in, I'm watching the rugby. I'm going to try and find as much to enjoy out of these games as possible. And yes, Europe, as I used the word Frankenstein earlier, it's it's ended up the way that it, it has. But I still think there was moments to savour over the weekend. Fair enough. Very positive. And uh, I, I agree with the, with these sentiments. Let me just ask uh, you one very, very quick question before we move on. That is um, uh, Bath, beleaguered Bath, recent, has just announced the signing of a new coach, Johan van Graam. Um, possibly a little-known Springbok, but he's been with Munster, not with conspicuous success. Now they have put all their eggs in this basket. Uh, Mark? Um, is that quite the f- signature global signing that Bath fans may have wanted? Yeah, well, fans always want signature global signings, don't they? It doesn't mean they're the right signings to make. Um, well, do they want a coach who's won anything? Would they well, like a coach who's won anything? Because he hasn't. And, and in that case, you say that you never give a young cho- coach a chance because, by definition, they haven't won anything. So I... I I'm much more of the, and I can't answer this question. In in it was he the right one? But I would argue the, that for club level, certainly at club level, cultural fit is is something that I think is incredibly important at coaching. Coaching, does the guy you appoint to pick your team? Because we could have an interesting question about what their structure is now going to be. All right, and I'm, and I'm not inside the tent, so I have no idea. But I'm assuming he's going to pick the team because. Uh, that's all the sort of subtext of the of the press release has been. Is that is he going to fit in with the culture at Bath? It's a it's quite a difficult club to coach. They've had some very good people there who've done very well elsewhere and haven't done very well at Bath. So uh, the answer is I don't know. I, I don't. It doesn't worry me too much that his he's had a long apprenticeship. He's done a um, he's done a, a reasonably good job. It, it appears if you go on results. Not always the only indicator. Um, I'd like to talk to the Munster players. But will he fit in with that particular culture at Bath? I, I just don't know. But they do. They did need to make some kind of change. And at least they're not doing it right in the middle of the season. That's, well, welcome to Johan next season. Um, let's go on now because, as promised, um, we're going to get into the developing discussion around recruitment in the Premiership. Very important. People, big players are already moving. And the salary cap is coming down significantly. And we're joined by uh, Jan McGinty, who was previously head of recruitment at Leicester Tigers, now runs rugby coach management. Uh, Jan joins us, and uh, first of all, talking to Al.
VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. So, Jan, I suppose the first question is, and it's a, a bit of a layup here, how has the rugby transfer landscape changed in the last year? I actually have been thinking about this, and I'm conscious that Mark might come in with some questioning, some of the facts I was thinking around. But I think in order to look at the current landscape, you have to take it a step back to understand why we're currently in this place. So you take it back kind of the end of the 18-19 season, the 13 premiership teams had a collective debt of around £88 million. So then COVID hit and everyone realised they needed to try and find a way out of this, even though most clubs received around just over £30 million from CBC, even though they're getting that to effectively get get rid of some of their inherent debt, also the central funding would have been coming down by 28% because of CBC's investment in the league. So you suddenly get to COVID, teams are hemorrhaging money. And so the owners decided the best way forward was to potentially reduce the cap. Traditionally, in these meetings, you'd have the owners or chairmen of, of the various clubs go in there. Um, they go in, decide that's a great thing, and then it would be less for every other administrator and CEO in the league to try and deal with those decisions. So what they did was effectively give themselves a, an 11-day window to actually say, right, we're meeting on the 20th of June 2020. This would take effect from the 1st of July, which would be the start of the traditional salary cap year. So what happened was they then allowed this window... So if a player had signed before the 1st of July 2020, only 75% of their salary would have to be recorded in the salary cap. Um, And this was a part of the reasoning of everyone agreeing to the cap reducing ahead of the 2022 season down to 5 million. So what a number of teams did was effectively re-sign between 75 to 90% of their squad for effectively longer-term deals, so they would only have to show three-quarters of the salary in the salary cap. So what you actually ironically did was have the majority of teams increase their liability to the point where it's probably the largest single increase of liabilities of any premiership team for the longest period in the history of the league. So suddenly some teams are actually spending more ironically than they actually were due to do the forthcoming seasons and probably 
overcap levels to a certain degree. So you get to the point now where we're hit COVID, everyone's get, receiving less central uh, revenues. And so we're all starting to see the consequence of us coming into a 5 million cap, 600 grand's worth of academy credits and one marquee player. So effectively, it's all well and good. Us thinking, right, we can find players to fill those positions. But the reality is also that players' expectations levels have to drop as well. Whereas they're still very much on the kind of, a lot of those are still living off those contracts that were agreed whereby they were taking a small, I suppose, reduction in salary, but they had extended the term of the contract. So going back to the original question you asked, what's changed for the landscape of this year? I think ultimately in the last 12 months, people have recognised that their earning capacity in the Premiership is actually comparable to France, Japan and some teams in the URC is actually really going to be significantly lower. Looking at an overseas stint where they could potentially earn significantly more money might actually be far more favourable. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, and for the ahead of this podcast, I, I had a chat with with an agent. It was when the issues were first coming in with the teams stranded in South Africa. EPCR initiated an amnesty where you could sign everyone. And in in my ignorance, I thought, oh well, maybe there's going to be free for all where there'll be lots and lots of signings. I spoke to an agent who said, actually, there are fewer. The phrase he used was quality mid level players around now than there ever has been before. Yeah. which hints at a shrinking of the middle. But one of the things he suggested was that with earning capacity for those mid-level players available elsewhere, whilst there are fewer options in England, for example, predicted that maybe there was more people signing in advance of going to the MLR in the US or Japan One League out, out there. Is that something that, that makes sense? Or do, do, yeah. do you see a shrinking of opportunities for the middle? Or do you think that actually that's now more of a global opportunity and less, fewer people are going to be looking at England as the, the destination to go for those mid-level quality players? I think there's a, there's a couple of kind of themes running through that. I think definitely there's, there will be opportunities globally, but <clears throat> the MLR salary cap is half a million with the single most wages an individual can earn being $35,000. So I don't think necessary for those, but... I think with the actual the increase in the academy credits and the fact that, as you say, those good club professionals that would be there for us, maybe 20 games a season covering when some of the internationals are away, they do seem to be more reliant now on the academy prospects coming through to fill those gaps. And so I think also you probably would have seen some guys go to the Pro de Deux as well. I mean, you look at probably Nick Abenendon, he had a number of opportunities to come back from Claremont and ended up staying going to Van. Um, and there's a couple of other teams in that league where they actually are reasonably well remunerated, living in a nice part of the world. And also they can then go on to the chamage afterwards. So I would agree that there are less opportunities. I think also Japan's interesting because everyone thinks this is where everyone's going to go. But they have a rule where basically you can have two capped, three non-capped on the playing team at any one time on, on the field. Sorry. So... The actual, there aren't as many overseas players as basically people are kind of allude to. Yeah, Jan, uh, Mark here. How are you all? Yeah, good, thank you, Mark. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, I, I think it's, you make some really interesting points there. I think one thing that a lot of observers over here don't quite grasp is that the three other um, sort of uh, significant leagues, which is obviously the, the French, the Japanese and the um, and and the U, URC are, are are all quite tightly regulated in terms of overseas players. You know there are. I mean the, the the days when the French squads were full of people from non of non French players are 
pre are, are going and will and are going to be tightened up even further. You've mentioned Japan and having been over there a fair bit, you know, there there's there's way too much. This idea that there are hundreds and hundreds of um, overseas players in the Japanese is, it, league is just false. And actually, the woes that are tend to come from that time zone, from Australia, New Zealand, and the islands. And you know, the, there's not going to be many contracts in Ireland or Wales or Scotland because for very understandable reasons, those clubs are there to largely provide a core number of players for the national team to pick from. So I think what you're going to get is that, is that the four leagues are going to become probably less multinational than they have been in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, and actually for the English clubs, I mean, I just do not accept this sort of is bleating too strong that somehow, oh, they're all going to go to France, they're all going to go to um, they're all going to go to Japan. A, I don't think it's true. And B, those comments tend to come from clubs who actually just want to keep spending more money. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think the irony is, you look at France, who've now put in quite a hard G system for mm. 17 out of 23. Now we're talking about the French players. We're not talking about the overseas players playing in the top 14. We're talking about your Intermax uh, and the, the delights of the Toulouse team coming through. And so... I think the irony being reducing the salary cap to five million, even though effectively you're going to, it's probably going to become, as you say, a more British league per se. Um, the irony is the actual England team will ultimately be the biggest beneficiary because they'll be playing a lot more younger players. Now you might have a couple of years where the league might dip in quality, but ultimately as those players get better, the league will continue to hopefully improve. But therefore, the opportunity for the national coach to pick a far greater pool of player will increase as well. How difficult is it to uh, even begin a conversation with ambitious England-capped players to say that potentially this blockbuster deal that you might want to have between moving between Premiership clubs, you might have to adjust your expectations with that one? Well, we were probably, when I was at Leicester, we were the first team to have to do it because we effectively had five players that left just before the start of the season. And so in order to also get some of the other England players to agree longer-term deals, we had to look at what their value would be in 18 months' time and kind of look into the, the crystal ball a bit. But effectively, I was kind of coming from a practical perspective. So you've got a 5 million cap. I don't see the merit in paying any one individual more than 5% of the overall cap figure. So to me, 250 was the maximum you should pay. With one marquee going, or two marquee going down to one, I was just thinking... You shouldn't, no team should be paying more than half a million for a marquee player. Now, if you've got players that traditionally have earned three, four, five hundred grand and they're going to basically take a 25% wage cut, it is a big pill to swallow. But ultimately, they will top it up with national team contributions. And even in the instance of George Ford, who's gone now from Leicester to Sale, you've seen he's gone as he's a marquee player at Sale, sorry, at Leicester, going to Sale. He won't be able to be the marquee player because he's coming from another Premiership team. But I think what you're seeing is that people want to stay playing in the league. They want to still play for England. And therefore, they know that if they want to do that, they will have to take a bit of a financial hit to do so. But in comparative terms, even from the start of when England players were still getting reasonable sums of money kind of 15, 20 years ago, the fact that they're so well remunerated by England can give them between 100 and 200 grand top up over the year. So, yes, in one instance, they are suffering a bit from the club contract, but I think everyone's forgotten the reason we got into this position was the fact that every player was taking a 25% wage cut across the league because of COVID. Now, teams have spent their CBC money 
and most teams now would probably be sat between 15 and 30 million pounds in debt as a consequence of COVID. And we've still got to get through the next two, three years and potentially stadiums might have to go through another rethink on how many, uh, what their capacity is in, in this, even in the next few weeks. So I think the players have to recognise the fact that a lot of industry, other industries went completely by the wayside during COVID. So the fact they're still getting pretty well remunerated, pretty well looked after, um, I think that there's some context needs to be seen there as well. I mean, last question from me, Jan, is if you're a club, an ambitious club that's maybe hit the skids a little bit and is looking at potentially having to do a big rebuild, how much of a knock does that have on the team? Because signing a couple players is something that ambitious clubs will look to do every season. But when you've got big structural change to make, where you need to perhaps change the spine of a side, how how hampered will teams be, do you imagine, uh, in the, the years to come? I think the, the best thing that Premiership did for those teams that are, as you say, perennially close to the bottom of the league is actually stop relegation. So for once, that excuse of bringing in like the kind of guys on a, almost like a pension payment, this is kind of the last deal before they retire. Now you actually generally have the opportunity to invest in youth and actually seeing how good that could be. So if I was a team in one of those positions, I'd be heavily investing within the academy structure because ultimately by the time they're talking around, say, the next three or four years when team we might bring relegation back, which I hope we do, but ultimately you've given yourself a three, four year window to properly build your club around players that could be there for the entirety of their career. So I actually, th- and the other thing is the caps only um, limiting the amount of money you spend on the field. It doesn't limit what you put in place around coaches, support systems, actually what you spend on facilities. So I think I would actually be looking, if you're going to spend money, actually spend it on the infrastructure, spend it on the coaches, spend it on the coaches at that youth level and that academy level. So you're actually getting the players quicker than your peers and getting them better quicker than your peers. And that's what I would be looking at. So you can almost, I wouldn't. I know most fans want to be looking at the top of the league for actually competitive performances. But if you're properly starting from scratch, you have to start with youth. That was fascinating. Uh, many thanks to Jan and uh, very thought-provoking. Um, before we um, uh, sorry, before we bow out of this year, there is um, a big Christmas series of matches to come on uh, Boxing Day and the day after. Uh, Bristol Leicester, uh, that that'll be huge. Newcastle Sale, uh, Wasps London Irish, also big. Bath Gloucester, uh, what a derby! Saracens Worcester, and then the day after on the twenty seventh, the big game: Harlequins against uh, Saints Northampton. And um, Mark, the big game. Whose idea was that? I'm afraid I have to put my hand up for that one. Well, no, it was Max Guizzini's idea, right in right. Paris, in Stade Francais. Uh, when he had the most, he put on the most extraordinary spectacle at the Stade de France yeah, yeah. Uh, with with all kinds, and and we went there in the Heineken Cup on a on a great day when we, when we went one away in Paris, and I looked at it and thought, got to do this in London, got to do this in London, and Boxing Day stroke the day after was the classic day, took me back to my childhood Cardiff Pontypridd, you know that it, you always get a crowd at Boxing Day. If you can't get a crowd on Boxing Day, you really should go home and, mm. and do something else and so we, we gave it a crack and nobody sort of we were all a bit nervous about it we didn't know how many people would turn up but actually in the first year there was loads of snow and uh, 50,000 people the police put a limit on the attendance I was so grateful because it looked like we would sell about 51 52 mm. so we could call it a sellout and uh, that's what happened and now we're in big game 13 so hope, hope it's on that, I got tickets. We uh, exactly look. Look, we are in a um, 
in ignorance of the latest COVID things here, but we just hope it is on. 2008, that was, Mark. It was. To be fair, uh, in Paris, it's got a certain... Parisian's got a certain... Uh, air about it and going going out and promenading up and down in your finery and all that. Mm. Twickenham didn't ha- didn't actually have that. I mean, and but y- you gave it that, and b- basically it it went from strength to strength. And this year there's a there, there's a women's game which which will be great. Which will be great. I mean, it, 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 it triumphant. You slightly surprised that no one else has tried it. I mean, people have tried it with Bath coming to Twickenham, but that's not the same because you are a Twickenham club or you were a Twickenham club. I am a little bit. I mean, I helped uh, uh, when Newcastle did it at St James's Park well, that for was a couple a of years, and, and yeah. that I thought that worked really, really well, and and. And uh, look, uh, people get a bit scared about it because it is risky. And if you don't get the crowd there, you can lose a fair bit of money. But, you know, I felt, as you've heard me say many, many times, you know, rugby, club rugby needs big, more bigger events. We, we, you know, if we're going to grow the game, we've got to look like we're taking some risks and we've got to take it to larger stadia, which in this country tend to be football stadiums. Um, and, and, and give it a crack. And, and you've got to spend a bit of money and, and you might not get it all back. Although, to be honest, in year one, we did. We, 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 and now it's a, it's a really big revenue earner for, um, for Harlequins. They didn't have it last year and I know they will be very, very nervous about losing it in the last week because not only is it a great occasion, you know, and, and the players who aren't internationals love playing there. Mm. You know, it gives them that sort of, when it's, you know, you get high 80s, uh, sorry, high 70s, 80s, odd thousand there it's a really really um it's a really big feel for players who otherwise maybe won't won't experience that and um it i i'd I'd like to see other clubs it's difficult in the west country where a lot of our clubs are because there aren't many big stadia people used to criticize bath for coming to twick and oh it's well where else do you expect them to go you know the the biggest stadium in the west country is is probably ashton gate where one of our teams plays already so look it's not straightforward but i'd love to see you know northampton used to take games to milton Keynes, and they don't seem to do that anymore sale took a couple of games to bolton and stuff and they don't seem to do that anymore i, I think it's i think it's really worth a worth a crack because um you're creating something different do you think, uh, Al, you're a fan of the big game and, and, and similar concepts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anything where you can guarantee uh, lots lots and lots of faces in a massive massive stadium that uh, on a lovely day, hopefully it's the weather the weather holds up, then absolutely, why would you not enjoy that? Particularly when it's certain teams, you'd hope that the weather will hold up, you hope that it'll be a fine spectacle, and, and certainly teams with a sense of adventure that want to put on a show, you know, okay, you don't want it to be like a pantomime, but... A bit of a show is always good. I do have one question for Mark, though. Mm. Am, am I right in thinking that Max Guazzini once had... Uh, I mean, he was full of ploys, but I remember seeing images of elephants walking around the side of the pitch one no. day. No, is, no, I don't... That something? Not when he played, they played... They certainly had bulls, and, 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 and actually they had jousting, and a bloke fell off the horse, and I thought they were messing about, and he fell off and got dragged 100 metres along the athletics track at the Stade de France. It was just an extraordinary, that and the can-can dancers, and we tried to sort of replicate that a little bit, uh, and whatever. Oh, sorry, a little bit, the, not with actually having animals on the same not, pitch. We, you shortly. actually can't, I, we did, uh, no, that's not true. We got an eagle to bring the ball in one year, um, who then landed on some woman's head, and I had to check my insurance policy. Um, I must, by 
by the way, in case people think I'm being sort of too partial, that what the, the other club that has stuck with it is Saracens, to be fair to them. You know, they did the Wembley thing for years and now it's at Tottenham. And I really hope that goes ahead because they lost their first one. They've got a longer term contract with them mm. at White Hart Lane. So, you know, I, I applaud them for that as well. I, I, I just think... We think that Saracens could be the first home win on White, on White Hart Lane <laughs> that season, don't we? Steady. Right, okay. No, I, I just think they're marvellous, and uh, yeah, Saracens are a good example. And uh, but uh, we, we we're speaking in ignorance of the COVID situation later in the week. But let's really, really hope that all Premiership games are on. Uh, hope that Cardiff uh, against Scarlets is on. Uh, hopefully, Cardiff some of their players back, and that Ospreys and Dragons is on because. Uh, it's a great time to go out and watch rugby and uh, get away from the fireside for a little bit. But um, so it's Harlequins and and uh, Northampton. They've got something to prove as well on the twenty seventh. Before that, Boxing Day. It, it sounds like fun. Let's hope they're on. We'll finish the show with our God or Goddess of the Week. But first, uh, our Jess Hayden has her roundup of the latest in the women's game. Worcester Hartbury beat Worcester Warriors 36-10 at six ways, but for Worcester, this match showed the inconsistency in their squad. They were forced to make a few changes before the match and really Worcester just struggled to take a hold of this game, despite having such a strong performance against Bristol Bears last week. In Darlington, DMP Durham Sharks lost 88-0 to Exeter Chiefs, who now sit third in the table. DMP finished the calendar year in a desperate situation, bottom of the table with zero points at a minus 579 points difference. But the most exciting game of this round was Loughborough Lightning versus Bristol Bears. Jazz Joyce opened the scoring for the Bears with an outrageous run from her own 22, beating three defenders on her way to score between the posts. But it was Loughborough who slightly edged this contest and came away with a 17-14 win. There were just three Premier 15s games this weekend as the Sale Sharks vs Saracens match was postponed due to a number of positive cases confirmed in the Saracens camp. It's not the last Premier 15s game of 2021 though, as we've got Harlequins vs Wasps to look forward to on the 27th of December. It's an event known as the Big Game and will take place as a double header at Twickenham Stadium alongside Harlequins men who face Northampton Saints. My God of the Week nomination was going to be Di Young at Cardiff Rugby. I want to honour someone who's made a real impact this past year. So my Goddess nomination is Jasmine Joyce. The Welsh Springer and Team GB7 superstar has led the most organic growth in the women's rugby audience, single-handedly pretty much, in my opinion, since the England Women's World Cup winning team in 2014. Joyce is now a recognisable face for many rugby fans, going viral on Twitter a few times this summer but it's not just that. Jazz's honesty about the struggle of being an amateur international rugby player has made a real impact in Wales. Jazz tweeted about going back to teaching following her summer of success, which led to the Welsh Rugby Union releasing a statement promising reform in the women's game after they received a huge amount of criticism on Twitter and other social media platforms. Then the Welsh Rugby Union's director of performance, Nigel Walker, got in touch with her himself and he's since awarded full-time contracts to the Wales women's team that will start in January as part of a £2 million annual investment. So I nominate Jazz Joyce not just for being one of the best players in the women's game, but for growing the women's rugby audience so much and using that platform to create real change. Thank you, Jess, and a worthy um, Goddess of the Week nomination there in Jasmine Joyce. Al, um, Goddess of the Week, God of the Week from you, please. 
Uh, well, I did. I did wax lyrical earlier about Dan Fish uh, and how he played for Cardiff and how a lot of people would like him to stay on if he can, or, or whether he will go back into his third retirement, um, which is good going for a man that's just thirty-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I had to. I had to, guys. I had to go for a fellow front rower. Dan Cole changed the game against Connacht yesterday. Uh, just phenomenal performance up front for Leicester Tigers when he came on. Really, realistically, he he ensured the win for them up front, and yeah, just always got to give it to the front rower. So Dan Cole's my god of the week. Uh, god or goddess, Mister Evans. I'm going to go for one of the Glasgow players. I could have picked any one of a number. I was so impressed with the way they played, but I'm I'm, I'm not sure I pronounce his name right. I'm sure Alan will correct me if I got it wrong. But I'm I'm going to go because I always like going with the youngsters. I'm going to go with Rory Dash, who I thought was just sensational. I couldn't really separate him and Jack Dempsey and, I, and I've mentioned one or two of the others, uh, the two centres as well but uh, he looks and I, just, I think it's only the second time I've watched him properly he looks a real prospect and the halfbacks weren't half bad either as, as Alan said so uh, Rory Dark, he's my, uh, my god of the week far, far be it from a Newport boy to choose a Cardiff man but mine would be David Young uh, I think David um He's had a slightly up-and-down career. I think he's the man who saved Wasp when he had to pay for their own medical bills once before they went to Coventry. Uh, he certainly established himself, the, the club there, with a raft of young forwards uh, who are now coming through, albeit um, after injury. But uh, I think Cardiff, now they're Cardiff again, not the stupid regional thing, have uh, come through as a club. And I think they found that they have a heartbeat deep down there when all the players are out. And, um, OK, they lost both their games uh, with the unfamiliar side, but I think it'll give everybody a boost. So you'd look for Cardiff to come out strong when their players come back. So that's David Young. So uh, we've got four nominations there. Uh, I think as it's Christmas, we'll make them all joint uh, <laughs> joint first place to be uh, Christmassy about it. Um, that was the ruck. Our next one is on the 27th. You wouldn't expect us to have a Christmas holiday just because the rest of you are off. So uh, have a happy Christmas. Uh, We hope and pray there's rugby for you to watch. Either at your local club, please go down and have a beer, or at your local or nearest professional club, top division, championship, or wherever they may be. Uh, Have a lovely holiday. Uh, Keep listening to The Ruck. Thank you to Mark Evans and Al Dimmock. Guys, you've been absolutely tremendous this year. I mean that with uh, very sincerely. I think that uh, you're both very nice chaps, occasionally wield the this, the uh, sabre wrapped in velvet, uh, and it's been great to have you, uh, which also, as it's Christmas, we do something we wouldn't normally do and thank our producer, Alfie. He's very patient with us. Well, relatively patient with us. He has loads of good ideas, and where would we be without him? Here, here. Happy Christmas from the Ruck. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar double tap to open breakfast with anna from 10 to 11 and get on with your day accessibility there's more to iphone 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.